Hello, America. It's Ted from Consumer Cellular, the guy in the orange sweater, and this is your wake-up call. If you don't have Consumer Cellular yet, now is the perfect time to switch and save. For a limited time, new customers can get wireless service for as low as $15 a month for your first year. Yep, the same exact nationwide coverage as the leading carriers for $15 a month for an entire year. What are you waiting for? Call 1-888-FREEDOM or visit ConsumerCellular.com and use code RADIO15. See ConsumerCellular.com slash FIRSTYEAR15 for promotional details. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. With the Internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms, Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers. In fact, Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash podcast free. All lowercase, shopify.com slash podcast free, shopify.com slash podcast free. To get the Crime Writers on After Show right now, go to patreon.com slash partners in crime media. I'm Rebecca Lavoy, and this is Crime Writers On. Crime Writers On is the original true crime review podcast that digs into true crime, pop culture, other podcasts. And on this episode, Adnan Syed is finally out of prison, and Sarah Koenig revisits her Touchstone podcast. Did the grandmama of true crime podcasts hold up to new scrutiny? We'll discuss episode 13 of Serial. Plus, they said the sexual favors they did for men in their goddess temple were religious. The cops said they were illegal. We'll review the podcast Witnessed Mystic Mother. Joining me to get those things done and more is true crime author, TV journalist, and host of These Are Their Stories podcast, my husband, and sometimes love of my life, Kevin Flynn. Hello, Kevin. Well, I just might have to find my own goddess, Rebecca. <laughs> Listen, you can you know, put your wand of light anywhere you want, Kevin. Oh, my God. Oh, really? No. Everybody heard that. Nope. Also with us is private investigator, certified pet detective, resident cat lady, and author of Dead on Deadline, and he's soon to be released Final Curtain, Laura Bricker. Hello, Laura. Hello, Rebecca. I mean, this town that I live in just gives me no shortage of places to kill people off, so stay tuned. No, oh, even more books. All right, great, 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 great. And finally, our captain of all things cynical, a title that we will revisit this episode, author of the City Trilogy, host of Strange Arrivals, and our Patreon Deep Dive Book Club podcast host, Toby Ball. Hello, Toby. Hey, Rebecca. You looked really scared when you said that. Oh, it's not Toby's fault. Just going to say right. that. Just going to put right. it out there. All right. So, Kevin, this is Monday's podcast. Of course, we're back to our twice weekly schedule. What is coming up in our next episode? We're going to be talking about the new podcast from KSL Podcast and Lemonada. It's called The Letter. All right. Well, I'm looking forward to that. And we're not going to do any banter. We're just going to get into the content of this week's episode because howdy boy, do we have a lot to talk about. All right. All right. Leading off. The public must know that the justice. Last week, after two decades plus in prison, Inan Sayed walked out of a Baltimore courtroom when his conviction for Heyman Lee's murder was vacated. Inan's story was first made famous in the earth-shaking podcast Serial. And hours later, host Sarah Koenig dropped a new episode. According to the prosecutor's office, they didn't set out to pick apart Adnan's case, their own case, mind you. They say it just kind of crumbled once they took a hard look. I know. If you've heard season one of Serial, you know how I got there. Here's how they got there. But it wasn't what the update said. It was what the update left out. In the eight years since its release, Serial has ignored new developments in Adnan's quest to exonerate himself even as others discovered new information which filled in holes from Serial's reporting or contravened parts of it altogether. The state only recently talked to three experts about what the cell records actually show and don't show. And the experts all agreed, you can't use the incoming call records to back up Jay's narrative. Doesn't work like that for a host of reasons I won't bore you with. We didn't get to the bottom of this incoming call problem back when we were reporting this story. Episode 13 of Serial, Season 1, 
may play like an epilogue to Koenig's story about Adnan, but its creation has sparked new consideration for what the famous podcast got wrong, its ongoing obligation to the subject, and whether making Adnan the world's most famous wrongfully convicted inmate was enough. All right, so Toby Ball, in the intro to this podcast, I referenced your cynicism. And there's a reason that I did that, because I've been thinking a lot about Serial Season 1, and of course, we talked about it in this podcast, and, you know, looking back on it, at the moment, it was a moment, it was coming out, it was a groundbreaking piece of media. Of course, I think we all agree there are parts of Serial Season 1 that do not hold up, not just because of what's been discovered, but because of things that were done during the podcast. I don't want to get too much into that now. But Toby, I will say, I was giving an interview to somebody today about this, and I was able to point out one flaw of Serial that sort of points to many things about the reporting, and I can sort of say, walking away from it, this is how I know that Serial didn't do its job. For a long time after it came out, Toby Ball, who weighs things based on the facts put before him, thought Adnan Syed was guilty for a quite a while after Serial came out because of what the podcast did and what it didn't do. And I actually think that is very telling now, sort of like, given what's happened. What did you think when you actually heard the update that Sarah Koenig did coming out, given all that you know now, and given how you feel in retrospect after all these years that have like transpired since Serial has been released? That's an interesting question because it kind of felt weird and like not of a piece with the rest of the series. You know, putting aside the journalistic errors and all this other stuff, if you're just sort of listening to it as a piece of entertainment, I mean, it remains kind of unique, right? In how it was like every episode you had this new slant and these new thoughts and you could have new theories. It's just this reality aside, just this beautifully put together piece of entertainment. What it wasn't was very good, in my opinion, very good journalism. And that's both, you know, not getting to stuff that they could have gotten to. And then also in the decisions that they made, which I think were really around creating that kind of narrative that would be sort of propulsive and get people talking. In order to have that happen, you had to keep this level of ambiguity about whether or not he was innocent. And that goes through the whole thing. And then they, and they obviously, they don't have like a conclusion at the end. They're, they kind of ruminate about it a little bit. So this had none of that, right? It, it seemed like it was almost like an obligation. It was like, well, you got to do something, right? And so it felt to me a little bit like they did almost the absolute minimum, which was, you know, do some reading up on it to know what the reasons behind, you know, this change into judicial attitude towards Adnan was, and then like actually be there when it happens. Although there's not much, I mean, she kind of describes the scene. I think there's some ambient noise that they use. But she didn't have to be there, right? I mean, there, there wasn't anything in particular that she got out of it. So in the end, I was kind of like, well, I guess they needed to do something. But the idea that it's in episode 13, like, it just doesn't feel like it's part with the other 12, right? Mm. I, this could this should have just been like, like, I think they had a few like bonus episodes or whatever, where she was like reporting from her closet during some hearings for Adnan. And this seemed more of a piece with that than with the actual the, the original show. Laura, you sent me a note about seeing Sarah Koenig at the hearing. What were your observations about that? I've been watching all the clips and the video clips and, and when Adnan comes outside and everybody's around him and all the media and you just see her there like with her, like thrusting her microphone in, but she just, to me, she looked like she didn't, I, I don't want to say this in a like mean way, but she didn't look like she belonged there. She just looked out of place to me. It was like, she's like, oh, this is where, like Toby said, well, I should be here because Adnan is getting out. but And part of me felt like, what's she doing there now? Because there's been so much that's happened in the years since that hasn't been covered necessarily. And this 16-minute update, I didn't really learn anything new from it that I couldn't have discovered reading the newspaper reports about him being released. Uh, the only thing, it reminded me how much I love that theme song. Hmm. So, Kevin, I, I know that you are, we're going to get into the discussion about, like, 
our well my probably like like bigger feelings about cereal maybe toby's bigger feelings about cereal but i do think that one thing we should acknowledge this episode did not do harm insofar as that we have to say there are millions of people who only know about this case through cereal have never yep. read anything else have never watched the hbo documentary as far as they know it was either adon or jay as far as they know, there have been no updates in this case. Their only information about this case has come from these 12 episodes of Serial. And this episode just provided a recap of what happened that day. Do you think it did a good job of that? Oh, like the 17-minute episode? Sure. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, just, it's a perfectly suitable news recap. And yeah, I mean, there are a lot of fans that this is the way they're going to get the story. And... Although maybe the tone of it is not the same as the original 12, I think it was at least important that they made this episode 13 because now if you come to Serial for the first time now, we could talk about what the first 12 are, but this is part of the canon so that you'll listen to it and when you get to the end, you'll know that he got out of prison. Mm. I mean, a lot of people are upset because Serial did this great job and we all came to love it not and a lot of us believed that he was innocent and then there was nothing else from Serial. Right. And there were developments or big developments in the legal case and they never came back on the air to do any of that. Hmm. And some people were really put off by that and it seemed like, oh, Sarah has abandoned it And even though Rabia and her crew were doing like this fantastic work and it was getting out and more importantly, it was getting into legal briefs. I mean, that's really what matters. I think it raises questions of what is the long-term obligation of any journalist to continue reporting a story that they have finished work on? You know, I don't know. Does this mean that if Serial continued to do a yearly update on or what is going on with Adnan, that everybody would be happy? I, I don't know. But it just seems like the people who are Adnan guilters are upset with Serial. And now the people who are pro, a lot of people who are pro Adnan, but have been following the case closer than the average bear are also upset with cereal. Okay, so I will tell you what my feelings are. Mm -hmm. At the time I listen to cereal, just like everybody else, and you can listen to our old episodes, like it is a groundbreaking piece of media at the time. I think we all agree about that and we all listened to it and felt that way at the time. There were things even at the time I was uncomfortable with, such as Sarah Koenig saying Islamophobia did not exist before 9-11, such as Sarah Koenig saying, and even now it's extra cringy, like cops are basically good guys, yada, 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 yada. No reporter is obligated to stay with a story after they are done. OK, so we'll, I'll get mm -hmm. back to that in a second. What is really troubling to me, a couple of things. One is that there are actually things in Serial that they did not do that they had in the information to do. One of the really striking things is the cell phone tower evidence. They actually had that information. And the person who wrote the report for the cell phone tower evidence, Abe Waranowitz, who is the one who gave the testimony at the 2017 that his conviction was vacated the first time. He's the person who wrote that report. He's not in the episode where they did the cell tower evidence. So that's one thing, which is a minor, which is a thing. So that's that's like a thing that they could have looked into, which is fine. That being said, another thing that they did that bothers me is they shut the door on other possibilities again and again and again in the podcast. So when somebody says it is, is it Islamophobia, Sarah says, I don't know. When somebody says, is this person who discovered the body potentially a suspect? They decide we're going to give him a pseudonym and shield him and go back to is it non or is it J? They close the door over and over and over again, other possibilities and keep the frame on this at non or J at non or J or non. They, they really do that over and over and over again. And they do it for the sake of a good story. When you look at this American Life website, which is the progenitor of this, and you say the about section, it says, we do journalism, sort of. It's really like movies for radio. And that really is the lens through which this story was told. So that being said, it's a groundbreaking piece of media at the time. But here is my bigger problem. This is a property that is now owned by the New York Times. The New York Times put out a podcast a couple of years ago, which we talked about called Caliphate, which after the fact did not stand up to its journalistic principles. They now have, the audio is still up, but they now have a disclaimer on that podcast saying, this audio is up, however, dot, 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 you should know this. You would like to see that for serial. 
There are facts in cereal that are blatantly not true. Not my opinion, not true. Actually not true. The New York Times. Have been disproven later. Yes. And my issue is millions of people are discovering the medium of podcasting through this show. This is an important case. The man is now out of prison or his exoneration was on its way to happening. And there are still people discovering podcasting today who are talking to their friends at wine clubs going, do you think Adnan did it or Jay did it? Based on facts they're listening to in this New York Times property. That really bothers me. That's my issue. I just think a disclaimer, which you could digitally insert saying, this reporting happened in 2014 and 2015. It is flawed. There are updates for updates. Go to serial.com slash whatever would be like appropriate. Toby, what do you think? You know, I think it's a little problematic that the New York Times has this just because like, I don't feel like Sarah's like mission was to find the truth behind what happened. What she was trying to do was create, you know, a media property that kept people listening and it was simplifying the story. And quite honestly, I mean, again, it's like if she had gone off on these side things, it would have detracted from this story that she was telling, which was really compelling because it was both simple and that was like two people and and sort of this trip they had over the course of a night. And it was complicated because there was all these stops and different kinds of evidence or whatever. And that I think diluting that would have hurt this story. And I think mm. that's what she was trying to accomplish, right? So then when the New York Times gets it, like that's not the kind of thing the New York Times is supposed to do at least, is to say, all right, I'm going to take this real factual thing that happened and then try to create a piece of entertainment around it. And it may require kind of shaving off some of the facts or, or concentrating on just one thing at the expense of other things. So it seems more of a piece, like you were saying, with This American Life, which is, it's sort of truthy, you know, as opposed to the New York Times, which is supposed to be factual and rigorous and all this stuff. So I don't think it's a great fit anyway, which I guess is my answer to your question. Yeah. I guess my real only takeaway from listening to that 16-minute episode is that I think what it came down to for me is that it was done with basically like the same approach in a way as the original in terms of her telling the story, her being the narrator. But it shows to me, like, I guess I came away when I finished, like, boy, the true crime podcast world has evolved so much in these eight years. This was what kicked it off. Yes, we can point out the flaws. We can point out the things that irritate us that we feel like should be fixed. But this entire sort of, I feel like, movement that we've seen over the past eight years where we've seen tremendous journalism and podcasts like In the Dark and Accused and Bear Brook and other podcasts that take on true crime. I feel like that wouldn't have happened if we hadn't gone like, oh, here's this serial thing. And they're telling this story week to week, which is something new. So to me, though, it just showed how far we've come. And also when I went now listening to it, I'm like, wow, you know, the fact that I was so impressed by it at the time you know, there's things to like about it, but it's just, there's so much more content now. And just the level of journalism is so different than I think what we were seeing with Serial. It was a different type of journalism. I think in the end, though, we have to decide what is a reasonable expectation for Serial? Well, Kevin, yeah. I don't want to interrupt you, but we have a lot of notes on this. Oh, we do. Okay. And I do think we should pick it up in our after show because this was actually a podcast where we were supposed to review another podcast. So I just feel bad that we're not reviewing the podcast we're supposed to be reviewing. So You're not feel, you don't feel bad about that at all. <laughs> Disney Plus and Hulu are better together in the Disney bundle with new movies and series. On Disney Plus, experience the full Taylor Swift The Eras Tour, Taylor's version, with new main show performances and acoustic collection. On Hulu, follow the fantastical evolution of Bella Baxter, played by Emma Stone in the award-winning film Poor Things. All of these and more streaming this month. Get the Disney Bundle with Disney Plus and Hulu. Terms apply. See DisneyBundle.com for details. Hello, America. It's Ted from Consumer Cellular, the guy in the orange sweater, and this is your wake-up call. 
If you don't have Consumer Cellular yet, now is the perfect time to switch and save. For a limited time, new customers can get wireless service for as low as $15 a month for your first year. Yep, the same exact nationwide coverage as the leading carriers for $15 a month for an entire year. What are you waiting for? Call 1-888-FREEDOM or visit ConsumerCellular.com and use code RADIO15. See ConsumerCellular.com slash FIRSTYEAR15 for promotional details. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. With the Internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms, Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers. In fact, Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash podcast free. All lowercase, shopify.com slash podcast free, shopify.com slash podcast free. All right, so Kevin, here seems like a good time to make a transition and do some business. All right, play the music. What have we got going on in the business section right now? Right now on the Crime Writers on After Show, you're going to hear us continue this discussion. We're going to talk a little more about Serial and its impact, and Rebecca can swear some more. Yes. A lot more. Yes. All you got to do to get that and about 300 other exclusive podcasts is sign up at Patreon. Go wow. to patreon.com slash partners in crime media. Yes. Also want to let you know that there's going to be a live show of These Are Their Stories, the Law & Order podcast. Yes, in Concord, New Hampshire. Concord, New Hampshire, November 11th. It's at the Bank of New Hampshire stage. Tickets are on sale now. Just go to lawandorderpodcast.com and there's a link right there. And it's so conveniently located in Concord, New Hampshire. Yes, for us. Yes, so for the rest of the nation, it's a bit of a drive, but that's the way it rolls. Can I mention one thing, please? Sure. I would like to mention that uh, the book that I've been telling everybody to read, the Jarrett Kobeck Zodiac book. Oh, have you? I hadn't noticed. Yes, there is a special episode in Patreon right now that is going to be special on Patreon for just a day or two more, but I am going to release it in the Crime Writers on Feed more generally. Jarrett Kobeck, who I believe solved the Zodiac case, there's an article about him now in LA Magazine that is going to blow this whole thing wide open. Yes, the daughter of the person he has identified as a Zodiac killer also believes he solved the Zodiac case. So that episode is also behind our Patreon firewall. Well, how thrilling for you. Right now. Right, Kevin? Absolutely. And also, we're getting very close to Laura Bricker's new book drop, The Final Curtain, comes out on October 1st. It does. Are you a bestseller already or, or not? Well, I will say there are a lot of pre-orders that are in and the bookstore is very excited. They have a big file printout with all the pre-orders. So hopefully it's going to be another bestseller. We will see. I bought tickets for your book launch party, Laura. Did you see? Well, no, because I'm not in charge of that. But, I bought uh, tickets. Yay! Oh, More goody. details on that coming up. Lastly, I just want to remind folks that this year again, I'm going to be doing the fundraiser for the Crisis Center of Central New Hampshire. This is Walk a Mile in Their Shoes. You remember that I put on a pair of high heel shoes and I walk a mile. Not actually a mile. <laughs> but a piece of money. a mile. Yeah, yeah. And folks have already been uh, donating. If you'd like to throw a couple bucks at this, you can by going to crimewriterson.com. There's a link at the top that brings you to the uh, the donation page. Everybody who donates, I'm going to mention their name on an upcoming episode. Nice. What does the Crisis Center of Central New Hampshire do? Well, it, it provides emergency services for victims of domestic violence. Yes. And, you know, they're always needing supplies and volunteers and, you know, just to pay for the shelter itself to keep a roof over their head. These kinds of things take money. So every little bit helps. And if you can't, you know, support me, what I'm doing over here in Concord, New Hampshire, do something closer to home. Yes. Because there are always plenty of charities and uh, advocacy groups and other organizations that are trying to make a difference. So find something that's going to help your community. Yes. But if you want to support Kevin while he wears these shoes that he stuffs his feet into and walks a portion of a mile. I highly recommend it because he's very competitive and I'm very competitive on his behalf. Kevin, I may make a donation to your thing. Would that be all right? It would be all right. I mean, I already did, so it's kind of like, you know, our wallet, you know, your wallet, my wallet, but whatever. It's murky. The line between our finances is very murky. All right. Kevin, does thus end the business section? Thus ends the business section. I'm going to go ahead and fade that music out right now. Moving on. And when I found Tantra and goddess worship, I knew that I had come home and that I could be a priestess of the mother. The Phoenix Goddess Temple said it was a house of worship, 
a place where the healing powers of a feminine touch would bring about a sacred union. Their mystic mother, Tracy Elise, said it was a church where goddesses and seekers came together in chakra-to-chakra contact. See, what I I wore is like um, G-string underwear and like a sheer wrap that tied above my breasts. And I remember taking my sheer cloth off and running on his body. And I hadn't even got the oil or anything like that. And then all of a sudden, um, I looked over and I saw light, like a flashlight underneath the door. But police said the temple was neither a center for sexual healing nor female empowerment. It was a high-end brothel hiding behind religious protections. They shut down the temple, arrested the sex workers, and moved to convict Elise on charges of prostitution. The women were not called prostitutes. They were called goddesses. Instead of a brothel or a house of prostitution, they called it a church. We believe that no matter what you call it, no matter how you disguise it, that this is a crime, and the crime in this case is prostitution. In the eight-part podcast, Witnessed Mystic Mother, Katie and Leah Hennock visit the 2011 scandal. They also ponder the nature of sex work and what set the Phoenix Goddess Temple apart. Spoiler alert, we are going to be talking about plot points from Witnessed Mystic Mother. So if you want to remain spoiler-free, go to the estimated time code in our show notes to hear our thumbs-up or thumbs-down reviews. So, Laura, why do people give a shit about sex work uh, when it's not human trafficking? That's what I am like. My main thing is here because, listen, I do not believe this is a church. I'm just going to throw it out there. You don't? Rebecca, but the spiritual healing of the magic wand. Listen, I do not. I have listened. (laughs) The wand of light, not the magic wand. If this is a church... This podcast has not done a good job describing the actual religious beliefs of this church. (laughs) Um, What do you think? Because like to me, this really is a like meditation on why do people give a shit whether or not people I mean, because sex work, a lot of it is also like helping people. And Mm -hmm. a lot of it is also like making people feel good and help them get through the day. Right. When it comes down to it. Yeah. I mean, it's like putting my uh, what was it in my uh, chakra and my pakra. My chakra and your chakra and your chakra. (laughs) Your varaka. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I feel like in this that was sort of the question that I was waiting to have answered in this. And to me, I was like in the beginning, the first couple episodes, I was like, this is an interesting story. I was more interested in it because I was like, well, this is what the all night spa in Exeter could be if it had better marketing. Um, (laughs) It needs a statue with light coming out through its legs. Yeah. So so I was relating a lot to like listening to this and being like, oh, yeah. And the people are like, yeah, we know what's going on there. Why isn't anything happening? What are they really doing there? But curiosity aside and sort of this like voyeuristic sort of interest aside, like I feel like enough time has passed since this bust happened that we could have taken a more reflective look at like the big picture, you know, questions that this case could answer. And this is more just a retelling. And I mean, yeah, it was juicy to listen to, but it was more just a retelling of like what was happening there. And I feel like they kind of missed the opportunity to use this case as sort of a jumping off point talk about why is everybody so fired up about sex workers? Yeah. Why are these things still happening? Are they all bad? Are they all good? Like, are is there a great, like, I feel like there was an opportunity to have more of a discussion rather than just sort of a rehashing of the case. I mean, don't get me wrong. I thought the rehashing of the case was really interesting, but after the first two episodes, it did start to sound very much the same. Like, so that that's, that's uh, yeah, that's where I'm coming from with it. Well, Laura, I think they actually did do that. They had quite a few, like there was a, there's a trans sex worker. There's, I think, a professor. I mean, I think that that really is what they're doing. They are exploring a lot of the ancillary topics because just sort of as a straight crime retrospective, this is fine. You know, there are not a lot of twists, right? It's prostitution. Please discover it's prostitution. They bust it like it's prostitution. You know, they charge them with prostitution. It's, I think that there is more of a meditation on what is sex work going on here you know rebecca the answer to your question like why is it a big deal because whether it ought to be or not it is illegal you know so that creates a tension there and to change that it has to be changed in a a different venue i will say it's a pretty clever front for a massage parlor Hmm. it's kind of like a theme restaurant right 
Everyone gets what they want from the transaction, but you know, it's like costumes and decor. It's like, it's like going to medieval <laughs> times, right? You're like, oh, yes. <laughs> medieval manor. Yeah. Yeah, you know, and you're just like, oh, I'm just dressed as a goddess today. And, you know, it's. And just- what's your name going to be? I could not believe, by the way, in the first episode that Rebecca, by the way, the couple's name is Rebecca and Kevin. I know. When Rebecca went in and she had to pick her goddess name, no one had picked Aphrodite yet. No. Like, could you believe it? I'm like, that is the layup name. Yeah. So Rebecca and Kevin go for a full body healing. I want to know, how did Kevin convince Rebecca of that? And I'm asking for a friend. I remember um, her, you know, putting her hands over his penis without touching it, just putting like doing energy work, I believe. And then Tracy went beyond the bounds of what normal massage would be like. And then and Rebecca followed. Also, by the way, how did why did Kevin break up with Rebecca when she decided this was going to be her job? Oh man! Uh, well, so, so so Toby, I mean, obviously there are like a lot of questions about privilege in this podcast because I don't know how far in you guys have listened. I've listened to six or seven episodes of this, so I've gone into the trial and Tracy representing herself in court. There are clearly issues here. It is spoiler alert: never clear what Tracy's actual religious beliefs are. Tracy will defend the fact that these are religious beliefs to the death, but she can never actually express, to me anyway, unless they're just leaving it out of the podcast, what the actual religious beliefs are. It's it's very, not that it matters, because by the way, if you explain what any religious beliefs are to a stranger's ear, they all sound as weird as this would sound to anybody else. But What this really comes down to is we do hear conversations about, you know, the hierarchy of sex work, right? And that is kind of what this podcast could have been about, right, Toby? Yeah, I mean, I I think, like, essentially, it feels like the goddess temple is like a very safe brothel. They, They do talk about a few instances of aggression by some of the seekers, but that it seems like safer than probably your, I don't know a whole lot about how safe brothels are, but this seems like it's a pretty stable situation. I guess it's just wild that she thinks that just by saying it's a religious institution, despite the fact that these secrets are clearly not bought into the religion, right? They're just, they're Johns, right? They're just showing up. And the women who work there, and this is one of the interesting things, which I don't know, maybe they'll explore it later, but there's a difference between Rebecca Mm-hmm. who really buys into mm-hmm. the ideas behind this and, and really feels as though her you know, sex work is healing and that she gets something from it, customer gets something from it, there's something spiritual involved there. And then they're also putting in ads in Backpage saying, send us a head and body shot yeah, and we'll, we'll let you know. So it seems like there's two different things going on here. There are also women, by the way, in this podcast to acknowledge that they have done sex work other places. Right. And that this was a better place to do it. Right. Let's be very clear. There are women in this podcast who acknowledge they were doing sex work at this temple. There's a few different things going on here. One is this idea that you can call something a religion and that's going to protect it. That's just not the case. That's not how freedom of religion works. As a matter of fact, Unless you're a Scientologist. legitimate religious practices have been cracked down on, such as Native Americans wanting to use peyote. Uh, I think they were prisoners and they sued the government and said, no, you know, so that's one thing. And it's, and it's the, in this case, it's weird. I think it's the idea of privilege without it actually working. Right. Mm-hmm. It's like, I think being an upper middle class or upper class or whatever, middle-aged white woman and the uh, African-American trans sex worker talks about this is like expecting different treatment is expecting this really flimsy explanation or excuse to win the day. Mm. And it doesn't. And I think she's, uh, she's surprised. Yeah. For many um, white women, especially older white women who engage in sex work, it's sexual healing, it's these crystals. Oh, I do massage, it's tantra and all this other stuff. But if a black woman is engaged in sex work, she's just a whore. So, Kevin, it is not necessarily a good idea to invite a reporter into your temple that's doing sex work and then have an inexperienced person who hasn't actually been given a PR strategy 
do that sex work in front of that reporter. It's not a good marketing ploy. No, I mean... <laughs> on Valentine's Day. Valentine's for a Valentine's Day. Day feature. Maybe yeah. you get some tips. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, that's what, was, what, uh, what was the thinking? The, mar- the, the feature was going to be fun things to do with your spouse on Valentine's Day, and you're you're still claiming this is a religion. See, thing, I'm thinking about Rebecca as well, Toby. Stop that, saying Rebecca. Can you just call her Becky or something? Becky, okay, so I'm, I'm thinking about Becky. Like, is she just... Aphrodite. Aphrodite. And like, and Tracy, like, are they just doubling down? Like, I'm, I'm okay. Tracy could set aside, but Becky, is she just doubling down on the idea that this is just spiritual and that this is not? I believe sex that. Work? I believe that look, Aphrodite because, thinks it is. Yeah. Look, I mean, there's a lot of different kinds of sex work and sex is work, and but people who are sex workers know they are sex workers because it's not for everybody, and they understand this is what I'm doing. It sounds to her like she doesn't realize. She's a sex worker. I think that's true. And you really, and to this day, I think she's still like, I'm here in my sheer negligee, putting my hands on. Uh, yeah, okay. I just, I, I find that. I think I it's find true that for her. Amazing. Well, I will say, I think that's true for her. And yeah. I also, there is an aspect of sex work that is helping empowering, people. Yes, but empowering for the woman as well. But it's right? also, yeah. by the way, I mean, there are sex workers who actually are like part of the work is like. You need that. I mean, there's a trauma therapy Mm -hmm. like sex work. There's a whole like you literally can't have. So if sex work were completely legal and this is an argument that you see everywhere, like there are so many like problems that would be solved. Well, a lot of sex work is legal, but the uh, that umbrella term, but but prostitution itself, that that right. Well, we should say prostitution is a legal term in this podcast. Well, we need to define our terms. Right, there are different silos, and they explain this. There's cam work. There's exotic dancing. Yes, the part where there's actual sexual contact, what we know as prostitution. Yes, in this, and it's a legal term in this podcast. It's a legal term in in Arizona. Okay, (laughs) don't have to use euphemisms. People understand what we're talking about. Yes, I mean there there are religions that. Sex is a part of it, right? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. it just like what, Toby? This doesn't happen to be it. Yeah, like uh, what, Toby? Though, like, give us an well, example. Well, they talk about they talk about tantric uh, mm-hmm. Buddhism, I think, like or sting. Hinduism. Yeah, like sting. sting right? yeah. He has sex for like four hours, and it's spiritual. Good um, on him. Man. Good for him, man. And you know, she's a very patient woman, apparently. But <laughs> he. Uh, <laughs> so there's all these like sort of legitimate things that sort of surround this this temple and none of them actually apply to it. But what know? makes yeah. something legitimate? That's This is the question, right? It's if somebody believes in it. <laughs> My <laughs> question is every time something like in the cloak of religion gets thrown in and everyone is like, that is fucking crazy. I'm like, you know what else is crazy? Like somebody from a planet, another planet would be like, all of your religious shit is crazy, right? It comes down to belief. It's yeah. all crazy. Yeah. It's all like, it's all just a matter of what you actually believe. And it's like, I agree with yeah, you. But that being said, I actually don't believe listening to Tracy because you also have, you have her people signing waivers saying, are you a cop or not? Which is when it like, for me, crosses the line of like, I don't think she thinks this is actually a religion, if that makes sense. Yeah. I mean, I think having a religion at the very base level means you have to have at least a few people who honestly believe in the religion, including the people who are leading it. (laughs) The guys do. That doesn't seem to be. The case, like the people who seem most enthusiastic about it are probably these dudes yeah. who are like, ah, oh, this is awesome. You yeah. know? Well, a thing that you learn later in the podcast, I don't know if you guys got to this part, is that her kids work there. Did you guys okay. get to this oh, part? God. So her no. son is a pract- is a practitioner. And by the way, he was not arrested or charged with anything. Oh, yeah. And her daughter is an appointment maker. <laughs> oh, you get to work the desk yeah just gonna, um, wow no I missed that but I did do a little research on the trial because uh, I listened the trial up through, is amazing the yes, audio is incredible where she was like singing her original song she was pro se she was putting she had out to all be these pro objects se. her original lawyer did um, a thing where he had her like committed like he had yeah. the thing where he declared her incompetent so she yeah. couldn't stand trial and she was like and then another like a psychiatric thing was like no she is competent and so she she, she defended herself and the judge kept stopping the trial and saying I don't think you understand how this works <laughs> you're supposed to ask questions not just talk about yourself in the courtroom it's, yeah no she was like singing songs yeah it's wild and- 
Mm-hmm. It's basically like an episode of The Magic Garden, that old PBS show, except sexy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, the problem, I think, and this is, I think, what they're getting to, uh, the problem with sex work as it is in the U.S. is that the focus has always been punitive towards the female and that the the man... Um, the John. Says, you, mean, the you, mean, John. you mean the worker or the yeah, John? Yeah, the work. I mean, I think you, it's, it's, it's moralistic, it's paternal... It's patriarchal. I mean, that's the problem. And we're slowly moving away from that as we're decriminalizing certain low-level drug offenses. There are cities where the DA said we're not going to prosecute prostitution charges. And, you know, as we move beyond sort of women having the right to safely and fairly provide sex work, you know, it'll bring up a whole new discussion about, well, who can fairly purchase it? And can we create a system where... Everybody is treated fairly. Yeah. Also men, by the way, also and, and also trans people and also sure. yeah. men also perform, everybody, yeah. everybody can safely and yeah. fairly provide. And I will sex. say, look, you know, we've heard from some of our listeners and they are sex workers in different areas of that industry. And they've always been very complimentary about the way that we've spoken about it. Oh, I don't know if they're gonna be totally happy with everything we said tonight, but No, I, listen, I, I have nothing I have I am pro sex work. Mm-hmm. I also don't think pretending your sex work is a church and using a constitutional argument about it. By the way, I think this temple should be allowed to exist. I also think that the trans person in Arizona should also be allowed to do mm-hmm. their work. I don't think the cops should be doing what they do. Manifesting prostitution. Oh, my God, that law. There is a law apparently on the books in Arizona called manifesting prostitution. That's what it's called. The law is literally if you're walking down the street, a cop can arrest you. For, quote, manifesting prostitution, which means you look like you might be doing prostitution. It's crazy. It's not okay. I guess my issue with this thing is this is the one instance in which I'll agree. And I not only because of like I'll agree with just in principle, like not the law, but just the rhetoric of it. If it looks like a duck, it walks like a duck or whatever it is. When you are on the phone with somebody and you're saying, come here, I'll rub my body all over of yours and give you a happy ending. You will leave money on a thing, but we can't call it a transaction. You actually have to call it a donation because if you call it a transaction, you could be arrested. And so mm-hmm. could I like, you know, you know what you're doing. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's fine. You should be allowed to do it. But you also know what you're doing. Hello, America. It's Ted from Consumer Cellular, the guy in the orange sweater. And this is your wake up call. If you don't have Consumer Cellular yet, now is the perfect time to switch and save. For a limited time, new customers can get wireless service for as low as $15 a month for your first year. Yep, the same exact nationwide coverage as the leading carriers for $15 a month for an entire year. What are you waiting for? Call 1-888-FREEDOM or visit ConsumerCellular.com and use code RADIO15. See ConsumerCellular.com slash FIRSTYEAR15 for promotional details. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. With the internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms, Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers. In fact, Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash podcast free. All lowercase, shopify.com slash podcast free, shopify.com slash podcast free. All right, let's do what we do. Let's let our listeners know, should they check out Witnessed Mystic Mother? It's a new podcast from Campside Media. What do you think, Laura Bricker? Should people check out this podcast? Yes or no? Well, let's see. I, I'm This podcast was interesting. The story I thought was interesting. I think, you know, for me, I would have made some different decisions on the length. But I will tell you, I have recommended this podcast to several people because I have a uh, knowledge of a similar situation in my area. And I'm like, y'all should listen to this because this is what's coming down. Um, but I mean, I, I, you know, it's an interesting story. I guess my question is like, why? It was a while ago that it happened. So I'm going to go mild thumbs up. But I think there were definitely parts I felt like were pr- kind of repetitive. Mm. And I would have liked to hear a little bit more about other parts of the story. Tell you, Ball, what do you think? Thumbs up or thumbs down for Witnessed Mystic Mother? Yeah, I mean, I agree with Laura. I, it feels padded at times like they're spending more time than i think is probably necessary on individual parts of the story on the other hand you know if you listen to the the main part of our conversation there's a lot of stuff that gets brought up in this podcast like there's a lot of stuff to think about and the way that we kind of 
as a society, look at sex work, look at religion, privilege, et cetera, et cetera. So there's all this different sort of interesting things around it. So, you know, I, I give it a, I give it a thumbs up. I mean, I thought it was pretty good. I, I enjoyed listening as Laura said, I, I think there were things I would do slightly differently. Uh, but for the most part, I think it, it, uh, it just, it brings up a lot of interesting questions with this story, which in and of itself is, is interesting. Kevin Flynn. You know, like when you go to a restaurant and then everybody orders and then as you hear everybody order, it changes like what you think you want to get. Yeah. And yeah, so I'm like thumbs sideways, but I'm just going to go a tick up to thumbs up. Oh. I mean, it's right there. It, the story in of itself, the crime, the interesting thing about the crime is just that the brothel was a church. It does raise, I mean, the, the more compelling part are the discussions and meditations on what sex work is and what it ought to be and certainly what it was perceived to be back in 2009. So, you know, for that, for that, it's, it's fine. It's it just, it's, we're not going to want to come back to it in eight years with a new episode, like for cereal. So we could talk about this again, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, good on the, the sex workers, you know, they should be empowered. And uh, I'm glad that Rebecca said that she is in favor of sex work because I'm going to now mark that down. Yeah. And let people know. I'm in favor of sex work. Yes, I am. I'm 100% in favor of sex work. I think it should be legal and safe. So you guys know what you can get me for my birthday now. Okay. Thumbs uh, up. I can get you legal and safe sex work for That's, other people? Yes, exactly. 100%. All right. So I'm thumb sideways in this podcast. I am not influenced by other people. I think the topic of this is interesting. I'm not sure it can carry as many episodes as it is. I'm not sure why Katie and Leah are telling the story other than the fact that they thought it was interesting. This is not like um, Chameleon Wild Boys where like the host, Sam, like grew up in the town where it happened and like had a little bit of a stake in the story. And I'm not saying like someone who isn't related to the story can't tell the story, but we now have here two hosts who are switching back and forth. And to me, that like sort of like joint host thing doesn't work because they're just alternating because they're alternating. Like, there's some formatic things here that just like, they're distracting from the story. It also feels a little bit stretched to me because I will tell you the interesting parts happen in like episodes five and six, which haven't come out yet. Episode five will be out tomorrow, by the way. But this whole thing is bingeable, like on the binge channel, like the interesting stuff, the trial, the real juicy tape comes out later. Meanwhile, we're just hearing about, you know, the temple and like we're kind of hearing the same stuff over and over and over again. I'm not sure this is an interesting enough story to carry as many episodes as they booked it for. So if I, I'm listening to it week to week, am I going to be like, cannot wait to listen to next week's episode? Uh, I, I can't say that I will. Is it poorly made? No. Is it an interesting story? Sure. Is it like a one and a half hour documentary that sparks a lot of interesting questions? A hundred percent. I think our conversation among the four of us is more interesting than I uh, felt like listening to the podcast. So for me, it's a thumb sideways. All right. Well, now it's time for my favorite part of the podcast. A little something I like to call the crime, crime of the week. Of the week. <laughs> Taco Bell, my favorite restaurant, is back with its popular Mexican pizza. Not to be outdone, Pizza Hut ugh, is trolling Taco Bell with what it calls the Italian taco. They say their new culinary innovation has a folded over soft crust with cheese, marinara, and your choice of toppings. In other words, it's a slice of pizza. Drop the mic. They shouldn't feel too threatened. The Mexican pizza is really just a tostada with a clever name. But no one out pizzas the hut. Though we're not really sure how big a flex this is on Taco Bell, because both restaurants are owned by the same fast food corporate overlord. It seems what they've actually cooked up is just a cunning marketing ploy. So maybe this beef is just like Taco Bell's. Probably not beef at all. <laughs> so panel, this is just a clever rebranding of a popular food. Please rename another favorite food. Laura Bricker, what do you think? I would like to go for a dinnertime raspberry white chocolate scone. Oh, that sounds oh, very good. Right, yeah. well, what do you think? What like favorite food would you rename? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> I didn't read this beforehand. This is a very complicated question. I know. Um, fuck. Uh, well, Sarah Canning is going to make episode 14 before you come up with an answer. I know. I'm feeling a hell of a lot of pressure. In eight years. And it's going to be 18 <laughs> minutes long. 
and it's going to be very milk toasty. Fuck. Why didn't I look at this before we did this? That's okay. You had one job, but that's I'm sorry. Cool. This is a new feature. <laughs> yeah. <I> just, <laughs> um, it's okay. I didn't look at it first either, but I also don't have to answer it. It's optional for me. That's true. <laughs> yeah. Do you have an answer? No. <laughs> I, I'm thinking of something with hot dogs. Uh, you also don't have to answer it, Toby. You can say, I don't know. Toby, you could say, you could say that the hot dog is now going to be called the Wand of Light. Yes. Oh, that's a good one, Kevin. Thank you. As per Kevin, Kevin Flynn helping me out, uh, <laughs> hot dog is now Wand of Light in a bun. Mm, wow. <laughs> Genius. What do you That's think, That's where Kevin? you're supposed to put your chakra. It's a, re- a religious eating experience. <laughs> in the your, bun. Push your chakra and your bun rot. What do you think, Kevin Flynn? Yeah, from now on, spaghetti is going to be called really long rice. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So that's going to do it for us. But Laura Bricker, if folks want to reach out to you on Twitter, I don't know, give you some suggestions for food that you should rebrand, how can they find you there? They can find me at Laura Bricker. Toby Ball, how can folks find you on the Twitters? At Toby Ball NH. What about you, Kevin Flynn? I'm at Kevin P. Flynn. And if you want to follow me on Twitter or Instagram, by the way, there's a lot going on there for me on Twitter right now. You can follow me at Reb Lavoy. You can also follow the show on Twitter at Crime Writers On. And I encourage you to join our incredibly wonderful community and our official Crime Writers On Facebook discussion group. Just go to our regular Facebook page and hit join the group. Support the show at patreon.com slash partners in crime media. You get the Crime Writers On After Show, Married with Podcast, Laura Bricker's Leave It to Bricker Podcast, and Toby Ball's Deep Dive Book Club Podcasts. Our theme song was composed and performed by Ty Gibbons. Our line editor is the very handsome and wonderful in Spain, Olivia Burdett. Buenas noches. The executive producer of this fine program is Kevin P. Flynn. He's so handsome. This show was recorded in the Ogolofta of the Bodega in Bay St. Louis, Mississippi studio, otherwise known as Studio C, the closet in our New Hampshire basement where this wand of light is more like a tiny nightlight. Oh, that's cold. On behalf of all the crime writers, thanks so much for listening. We will catch you later. Later. Just the level of journalism is so different than I think what we were seeing with serial. It was a different type of journalism. Okay. All right, move along. Can you put all some right. echo on that when she says journalism? Before journalism, 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 journalism. journalism. All right. <laughs> <laughs>